going to go over 7, which we skipped, um, and 8 today. So if you want to start in Nehemiah 7, I'm backtracking a little bit. I'm just going to read part of it here and then just a few verses from 8, kind of refresh your memory. So starting in 7, verse 1. Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanai and Haniah, the governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing the many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot, and while they are standing guard, let them shut, the, shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts, and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by the genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up first, and I found in it written. And these were the names of the people in the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his to his town. That's, we're going to skip the list of names here, and we're just going to read jumping towards the end of chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 70. Now some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 drachs of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, 500 minas of silver, and some of the heads of the father's houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 drachs of gold, 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 drachs of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priest garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And we're just going to keep going and look a couple look through a couple of verses in chapter 8. Verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the book of the law for the assembly, both men and women, and all could understand what they heard. And on the first on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate, from early in the morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So let's just start here by kind of reviewing what we talked about from Nehemiah eight. Previously we talked about how God has given us his word, we're to know it, we hold fast to that or to obey it, or hold fast to that. And then last week we talked about uh, how much emotions come up in the whole Bible, but specifically in this chapter, uh, chapter 8, where they talked about they were weeping, and then he commanded them to re- rejoice, and that the joy of the Lord is their strength. So we talked about emotions, how God commands us, our emotion, what emotions we should and shouldn't have, and also helps us, um, and that Christ came to redeem the whole person 
and that includes the emotions as well as uh, lots of lots of the other pieces. Our mind is affected, of course. Um, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but the whole person, which definitely includes the emotions. And so now we're going to kind of go back to Chapter 7, which has this list of names, which I didn't read. Um, that was just to spare you guys um, me reading all these names that I don't know how to pronounce. So if you want to read that, you can uh, definitely do that. Oh, you know, later today or this week or whatever. The interest, one interesting note just kind of on that is that this list of names also appears in Ezra, chapter 2, almost almost identical, not quite identical. Um, so kind of interesting that it's here twice really closely repeated. But, you know, the, the whole Bible, all of Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and so what is it that God wants us to learn and why is Nehemiah 7 here and actually twice pretty close together? What can we learn from it? And the first thing I want to point out that we read from chapter 7 is where Nehemiah says in chapter 7 verse 5 that God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of genealogy of those who came up first and I found written in it, all these names, basically. So he's saying that God put it into his heart to start to write down what God had done. And it doesn't specifically give us the reason. He doesn't say because of this or because of that, but just that God had put it into his heart. And so we kind of have to read between the lines here in chapter 7 why he why he did that, and that's I'm going to do my best to do that. And also, why would it be in here twice? So here's, you know... Um, my best understanding of it and I could be wrong and I think everything that I'll say is true but I'm not 100% sure this is what Nehemiah had in his heart because it doesn't say but I'm going to do my best to apply this to our lives and so open to feedback of course on that um, and in fact I'll give a little another little note while we are here and talking about this section is actually pretty confusing <laughs> and last week when I covered chapter 8 I just basically skipped over anything that was confusing (laughs) and just talked about how we can apply it. So I'll just acknowledge some of that today. One is that the whole timeline of the the feasts in chapter 8 is actually pretty confusing. If you compare the timeline of the feasts from Leviticus to chapter 8, there's a lot of very odd things. For example, he he calls it the feast of the seventh month, and there's actually three feasts in the seventh month. So it's like, well, what is he talking about? Are they combining them all? And then combined on top of that, we know that they don't really know what they're doing because they discover, oh, wow, we're supposed to be living in booths during this feast, and they didn't know that. So it's hard to know what's really going on, how much of it was them just doing their best and they didn't really know everything, and how much um, maybe when we look at Leviticus, we separate them all into these feasts, and maybe we should just call them the Feast of the Seventh Month. I don't don't know how much of that to... um, I don't want to go into too much of that other than just to acknowledge it. There's a lot of difficulties in terms of the timeline because the first day of the seventh month, which is when they started celebrating this, is actually the Feast of Trumpets, um, but there's nothing about trumpets, and it actually sounds exactly like the Feast of Booths. (laughs) So it's kind of confusing. So just, uh, again, on that, we'll just do our best and move forward with what we do know and how we can apply it to our lives. So why would Nehemiah put this list of names? What's one possible reason that this is a reason I think is most likely. And I want you to turn back with me to Isaiah, actually forward, 
but it's back in time. Um, a couple books ahead to Isaiah chapter 44. And let's look at this prophecy here related specifically to the return of the exiles. Isaiah 44, and we're going to read verses 26 through 28. And so this is a prophecy about what's going to happen and is accomplished in Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the two books here. So Isaiah 44, 26 to 28. So I am the Lord, is kind of how it's starting, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins, who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and the temple, your foundation, shall be laid. So this kind of comes in a longer section, but I want to focus in here on what actually was fulfilled here in Ezra and Nehemiah. What happens is years before any of this happened, God prophesied who, even the name of the king, would be Cyrus, who would let them come back. And he did, and Cyrus was the one who let him come back. But also, specifically, that the cities will be in ruins and then they'll be rebuilt. And Jerusalem, specifically, is mentioned in verse 28. So I think this is kind of a clue on why this, this list of names is in there twice. First is just remembering that God fulfills his promises. And that's really what's going on here in, in chapter 7 and chapter 8 together. They're remembering what God has done. And also gives us, it makes sense why it would be in Ezra as well. Because it seems like the first part of this prophecy happened for sure in Ezra when Cyrus let them come back. But the cities hadn't been rebuilt. And so it's almost like the first part happened. The first half of the prophecy was fulfilled when they all got to come back, but then everything's still in ruins. So when are the cities going to be rebuilt? When is Jerusalem going to be rebuilt? Just like uh, God said it would be. Well, that happens in Nehemiah. So that is one possible reason why this is in there twice. It's like, well, remember, there's all God did what he said he was going to do. He started here. It took quite a long time for that to come about. And then again, uh, many years passed before the temple. Well, the temple was rebuilt in Ezra, but then the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt in Nehemiah, like we have just read and been talking about for a while. So God fulfilled his promises by bringing them back from exile and then also by building up the cities in, in Jerusalem uh, being rebuilt. And so that's what I think my guess of what Nehemiah had in his heart, God, why God put it into his heart in chapter 7 to write down this list of names is just a reminder of God fulfilling his promises. Here's what God did. God said, first off, that they were going to be exiled. Then he said they would come back, and he said specifically the king, and then he specifically said they're going to rebuild the cities, and all that happened. And here we are taking time to remember it. And it makes sense why it's right next to chapter 8 when they're remembering all these you know, other things God has done throughout history, and that's what the, many of the feasts are all about. And so the first thing just to remember is God fulfills his promises. God fulfills his promises. He does what he says he's going to do. You know, we've talked about this before, but I'll bring it up again because I think it's helpful. Is just remember when we talked about Genesis chapter 1, what it says over and over and over. It says, this is right at the beginning of the Bible. You know, it's kind of interesting. Why is Genesis, Genesis 1, why is that the very beginning of the Bible? Well, it's creation, of course. But also, what is it that God wants us to learn? And over and over, God said, 
we've, we've talked about this before, but I'm going to review. God said, and there was light, and God saw that it was good. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and God's, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. And God said, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. And over and over, this refrain, refrain that's repeated over and over throughout all the days is that God speaks, and whatever he, what he says he does, and what he does is good. And that's what God is like. What God says, what he promises, you know, promise is like this, um, you can kind of hear it in English, like pro, like before, speak. Like he's speaking something before it happens. He's going to do it. I'm saying that I'm going to do this thing. And what God says, he does. A promise is just saying, I'm going to do this before I've actually done it. And that's all true for anything God does. Whatever he says, he does. Um, and whatever he does is good. And so we can lean on the Lord to fulfill his promises. This is just one more example among many in the Bible of God doing what he said he was going to do. So that's what Nehemiah is doing. And so then secondly, what are we to do? Well, we're called to remember we're called to remember God, what he's said, and what, when he's fulfilled his promises. And this relates to chapters 7 and 8. Uh, I'll read to you from Deuteronomy 30. Well, this is one of the reasons it seems like it's the Feast of Booths again, um, that they didn't, there's definitely confusion going on. They specifically says that in chapter 8. But here's what Moses commanded them in Deuteronomy 30, specifically related to this Feast of Booths. He said, this is Deuteronomy 31, Uh, 10 through 13. I'll just read it to you. Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the time in the year of the release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men and women and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children, who have not known it, may hear it, and learn and fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. So specifically, God commanded them, get together every seven years at the specific time and read the law. And you hear how similar that is to chapter 8 where it's saying and then everyone was there, everyone who could understand, basically. So they're called to remember the law, remember what God said. And then there's lots of other commandments about remembering. Exodus says, Mo- Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Um, that Over and over you hear that same kind of thing in Deuteronomy. It, it, you might just do a word search sometime, the word remember in Deuteronomy, and see how many times God's just calling them, remember what I did, remember, remember what I said, remember, remember. And many of the, you know, the feasts, not just feasts of booze, but all these feasts were called, they were called to celebrate, to remember either remember that it was God who had provided them the, the fruit from the harvest or to remember you know, when God freed them from slavery in Egypt and, and they put the, the blood over the door and, and Passover and they were spared. Or to remember um, when they lived in the wilderness. Uh, that's what the Feast of Booths is specifically about. You know, they're living in these booths just like when they were in the wilderness and they were sojourners in the land. And so over and over God's calling them to remember, and even the Sabbath, in many ways, there's lots of different things that God specifically says the Sabbath is for. But some of it is is to remember, remember that God created all things, that He rested on the seventh day, and we want to do what God has asked us to do. 
and do what they specifically did here in Nehemiah 7 and 8, which is remember God, remember his promises, and remember that he fulfills them. I'm going to read you one more verse from Deuteronomy. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Kind of interesting there. He brought them out of this slavery to rest, and that's another reason that we remember the Sabbath, or the Israelites were commanded, commanded to remember the Sabbath, is they were, re- they were brought out um, from their slavery. They were given rest from their work. So now we turn to our lives, right? So this is what's going on here in the Old Testament, how much God commanded them to remember what he did. But what about us? Is it just for the Israelites, or is it for us too? Romans says this, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So God wrote all this, not just for them, and it was for them, but it was also for us, that we might be encouraged. And so what about us? How can we apply this? We can remember God fulfilling his promises. How many promises has God fulfilled in your life? You know, take time to remember. I mean, Ephesians, the New Testament specifically commands us. He says this in Ephesians 2. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I mean, we're called to remember that we were lost and remember what it was like when we were lost. Remember the sins that, that you were enslaved to, that you um, maybe even confessed, you know, like, ah, oh, I feel so bad about this, and you could not get free. And then the Lord freed you, right? Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for all the sin that you had on your shoulders, the burden. You remember that he lifted it by shedding his blood on the cross and and taking that burden off your back, the guilt that you had. Remember the remember the burden of just living for you know this world and all people around you, their opinion. I remember when I hear this verse, I think back about to like the lunchroom in high school. That's what I think about. It's like, man, I remember sitting in the lunchroom and just feeling the weight of like, I wonder what people think about me. Oh, somebody over there is looking. I wonder if they're you know making fun of me at that table over there. Like just horrible i mean it's a horrible way to live your life it's miserable and then god lifts the burden it's like who cares what people think god loves me you know that's a huge burden lifted um a thousand things like that that we can say and look back and say god you did this you fulfilled your promise you washed away our sin you gave us new life you changed our hearts that we know what's really valuable and so we can look back and remember that remember who we were and that we're not that person anymore because of the grace of god it's something important to do. Um, what about you? You know, Think about all the promises just recently that we can thank God for, all the promises of protection that he'll be with us. I mean, with COVID, you know, all these difficult things with COVID, we've been really blessed here at this church by God and protected in many ways from the effects. You know, Nobody that here's died, and that's something to be thankful for and to look back and say, God, Thank you for walking with us and protecting us and getting us through this difficult time. 
think about all the prayers maybe of specific things in your life. Maybe when your kids were sick or in the hospital and you prayed, God, we want, you know, this child to live. Would you help us? Um, would, you he- would you heal? Would you give the doctors wisdom? And here we are, you know. There's so many things, countless things. I mean, we could probably, actually this would be cool. Maybe sometime we should do this instead of me preaching. I'll just say like, hey, why don't you tell me about a time when God really fulfilled his promise in your life and it it affected you, you know, and you remember it. That would be great. That would be a real, I'm sure, encouraging um, meeting just to hear different things in, in, your, in your life. Maybe we should put that on the schedule. Maybe we'll, if we do that, well, I, I didn't ask Andy and David. That just came to my mind, so I probably should ask them <laughs> before I do that. But if we do it, we'll definitely tell you beforehand. So, um, But it would be encouraging. And so we, we look to see what they did, remembering the Lord's promises, calling us to do that. A thousand things that you could remember. Take time, right? One, think about just one that affects you and actually you feel thankful for and praise the Lord for. And just say, God, thank you. And then finally, I want to move from just what they did, remembering, to what we ought to do, remember. And then how does that affect how does that affect our lives? Where do we go from there? Well, I want the last point basically to be that as we remember what God did and that he fulfills his promises and look at how he's done that in the past and throughout scripture but also throughout our lives to encourage you to step out in faith. That that would encourage you to step out in faith and to trust the Lord. And I want you to think about this word with me for a second. This is kind of an aside, but it's not. Think about this word, encourage. Encourage. When we hear the word encourage, at least in English, I think of kind of basically comfort. Like, it made me feel good. Was the message encouraging today? Was the singing encouraging? It's like, kind of made me me feel better. But in Scripture, the word encourage is kind of a a broader word than we use it in English. There's multiple things going on. Well, sometimes it's more like an urging, right? And I guess we kind of use it like that in English too. Encourage somebody to do something. doesn't necessarily make them feel good. You could really encourage your kids, like I really encourage you to do this, you know, or this or that, you know. And um, you're really urging them to do something, whether it makes them feel good or not. And then on the other hand, there's the comfort, the encouragement that is kind of an emotional comfort to you. But in scripture, a lot of times this word encourage is more, well, it's like giving you courage, in courage. It's giving you courage to step out. It's a lot of times had with the word strength, and it's actually in the Hebrew related to the root word about strength. And so it's like it's giving you strength to step out. Uh, I'll read you just a couple verses from the Old Testament that kind of get this across, this idea of encouragement. This is from Second Chronicles. It says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with them, for there are more with us than there are with him. With him is the arm, the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. I mean, you see there that kind of this idea of encouraging and strengthening, kind of put together. Be strong and courageous. Um, that happens over and over. 
in the Old Testament, there's a lot of verses that we could look at. But I want to encourage you, meaning I want to give you courage to step out in faith, looking back at what God has done. Looking at what he did, now what? You should have courage to step out. Like, God, this is what you said, and I know that you do it. And I remember how you brought the Israelites out of Egypt. I remember how Christ came and did exactly what he said he was going to do and what he did uh, in his whole life, how many of the promises he fulfilled there. And then I remember what you did in my life, how you fulfilled your promises to me, so many of them, over and over and over. And now I want to step out. I want to have courage. I want to be encouraged, given courage by all that you've done to step out and do what you've asked me to do. What would that be for you? I mean, Hebrews 10 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So see, there's that connection there. It's like remembering that God, who promised is faithful, and that he, he's going to do what he said, what's the result? Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So you look back so that you can move forward in hope and in faith and in confidence in God. And who he is. So what is that for you? I mean, if you look at your life and you see, like, God is faithful. He's going to do what he promised. He said, he'll be my shepherd. You know, he'll, he's not, I'm not going to want any good thing. That he's going to guide me. He's going to make me lie down in green pastures. He's going to lead me by still waters. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's going to be with me. You know, we, if we believe these promises in the Bible for us, what would that give us courage to go out and do? It's probably different for all of us. I mean, there's some things we should all do, trust in the Lord. Uh, We should fulfill the commands that he asks us to do. But there might be things that are specific to you individually as well. I might ask it this way. Okay, I want you to consider this with me, kind of a thought experiment. What would you want to do if you knew you couldn't fail in terms of for God? It's like, God, if I knew this would work, if I knew that that this... um, couldn't fail, I couldn't fail, what would you want to do? I thought that was a good question. I heard a, another pastor ask that question. I it really challenged me. It's like, man, what would I want to do? Because the reality is that's true. I mean, it may not turn out the way you want. I mean, what would you say? Maybe share the gospel with this person, you know, that, that I work with or family member or whatever. If you knew that it was going to work out, if you knew God was going to come through, well, you can take courage that God has promised many things that maybe it's not that that person's converted there, but you know that the Bible says that his word never returns void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it. And so you know, like, look, I planted a seed, and God's word never fails. He's going to do something with that. Whatever it is he wants to do, he'll do it. And that's sure, just like snow coming down, watering the crops, and they grow. That's how God's word is, Isaiah 55. It accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it. Or maybe it's something else. I don't, I don't know what it is for you. It might be something that, that you enjoy doing, but you just don't have courage to step out. It's like, well, what if, it, what if this doesn't work out? Or maybe, what, if, what will people say? Look to the Lord. Look to his promises. Look to what he has done in the past for people and move forward and step out. And the reality is, in many ways, Nehemiah here and and the Israelites are an encouragement. Think about how difficult it was to leave the home that they'd been 
and for so long in Babylon and Persia, you know? I mean, that was surely very difficult to go ahead and leave where they've lived for so long, stepping out on faith in God and to go back to Israel, um, not only for those who originally came back, but think about Nehemiah, too, stepping out in faith and leaving behind his riches and his great job to come forward and to go into a situation that's really hard. It wasn't like he left one palace and moved into another. He was living in ruins, and they were all trying to build it up. What a difficult thing to do, but he looked, and they all looked in faith at God's promises, and many didn't. Many, you know, one thing we can take from this list of names is how many, really how few came back. Given the opportunity, the majority, the vast majority of Israelites said, we want to stay. We don't want to go back, which is really sad. Um, But some stepped out in faith and trusted the Lord. And look what happened. They rebuilt the temple. Worshippers reinstated. They rebuilt the walls of the Jerusalem. They're starting to celebrate and fulfill the commands that God has given them. Well, what about you? Is there anything God's calling you to do that's difficult? It's not easy that you need to step out in faith. You look back at God's word, who he is, how he fulfills his promise, and you, come, and you go forward. I want to read you from verse kind of like this from Second Corinthians 9. It says this, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace overflow to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may overflow in every good work. There's a couple of things there, really, that kind of relate to this idea. It's like, we want to step out in faith. I mean, we want to sow bountifully. We want to say, like, God... We believe what you said, and so I'm going to step out in faith, trusting you. doesn't mean it's always going to turn out how I think. I'm sure Nehemiah didn't think when he left um, you know, his post that it was going to be as hard as it was. And it, it was very hard, and we're going to see going forward that it, it's, hard, it's harder than it even seems now. I mean, he, he leaves and then comes back, and basically half the stuff he did is you know, people threw it out of the window just turning around just, um, not wanting to follow God after they just promised to do it. But yet here he is in faith. He's sowing bountifully. Um, and God does, you can see what happens, how he reaped bountifully. And yet, Second Corinthians is really a promise for us too. The God of all grace is able to overflow, make all grace overflow to you. So having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may overflow in every good work. God's able to help you. Whatever, all good work. That's pretty amazing. All good work. God's grace is able to make, make it, his grace overflow to you so that you can overflow in every good work, having all sufficiency at all times. So move forward in faith. Pray about it. God is what do you want me to do today? How do you want to use me today? And give me faith to step out in whatever area you want that to be, whether that's speaking up or doing something or giving something or going somewhere and ask the Lord to help and root it in who he is and what he said he'll do in his promises. What would you want to do if you knew that you couldn't fail? What if we change the question a little bit? What would you want to do 
if you really believed today that God was going to make all grace overflow to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may overflow in every good work. I mean, he already promised. <laughs> That's what he said he'll do. So how would we act if we really believe that? How would we move forward in faith? What would we do today? How do we treat the people at our work? Uh, how would we uh, talk to our kids? How, what you know, kind of ladies' night would you want to do and try to encourage people? Or get together with some of your friends. Um, well, what is it? How do you want to encourage people that you're, you don't have courage to do right now? Take courage in who God is and what he's done and move forward. I want to read something someone said to me this week. I have a friend um, from uh, quite a long ago. He's a pastor, and he said in this, I was having a conversation with him this week on the phone, and he said this statement I'm about to read to you. I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. That sounds like you, it sounds like somebody wrote out a speech, but it was just him talking. I was like, well, stop right there, because I want to write that down. It was really, it's really good, but it relates to what we're talking about. Um kind of in conclusion, I want to use this, what he said. He said this, Jesus, um, he's talking about how people, kind of the American Christianity and um, the message, is it the message of the Bible? So he said this, Jesus accomplishes, many people believe that Jesus accomplishes something in the past, and Jesus accomplishes something in the future, but Jesus is not present in the present. We have to tell people that Jesus is for today. So, He's saying, specifically, Jesus accomplished something in the past. That is, he died on the cross for our sins. And Jesus accomplishes something in the future. That means all my sins are going to be washed, and I will be with him eternally. I'm not going to be condemned. But is Jesus present in the present? Because he said, many people believe Jesus is not present in the present. It's like, Jesus died for me, and Jesus is going to redeem me on my death. And everything in between, Jesus isn't really there. The reality is, is that Jesus is for today. Jesus is yes for your sins and yes for eternity but he's also for today. And so we need to look at our life and just say look God I don't want to just say I have faith in my, that my sins are forgiven and live my whole life looking forward to the day that I die but not have faith today in what you've got for me today. What you want me to do at my job. What you want me to do with my kids. What you want me to do at school, what you want me to do with my friends, what you want me to say in my words, what you want me to do with my hands. Um, all these things, Jesus is here for today. That There's grace for today. And we want to step out in faith. Um, we want to remember what he did and that encourage us, give us courage to step out where we are, just like the Israelites here and Nehemiah um, as well, how they st- stepped out in faith. Jesus is there for you today. And it's absolutely true that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. It's absolutely true that he's, there's not going to be any condemnation for eternity. There will be eternal life. But we want more than that. We want Jesus to be with us in every moment of every day. And so all these names here, you know, we could read through all of them. Um, but just they're individuals who stepped out in faith, and God used that to fulfill his promise. And God can use you. You're an individual. You have the opportunity. You have the word of God. There's a specific call on your life. God made you for something today. And God put you where you are today. You know, Acts 17 talks about God allotted all the times and boundaries of our dwelling places where everyone should live, right? And the time um, that they were born. 
And you are here right now because God has something for you. And you're right where God wants you today. And so you can lean on him. I heard something really good um, this week that a pastor said. Basically that we kind of think that today would be better off if God had brought all the Puritans back instead of all of us. Right? I mean, don't you kind of think people kind of talk like that? It's like the Puritans were so awesome and look at all these books they wrote and too bad we're not like them. Too bad they're not around. It's like, well, you know what? God knew what he was doing. He put them in their day for their day and he put you here for today. And he wanted you here. He didn't want Jonathan Edwards here today. He wanted you here today. And praise the Lord for that because he knew what he was doing and he has something for you today. And all that is to say, I want to encourage you in the sense not just that you leave saying like, oh, I feel kind of good. Because maybe you think, man, that sermon wasn't encouraging, it was boring. (laughs) But what if it actually encourages you, gives you courage to look what God has said and you step out in faith in some area. So let's close, just take a minute and just say, God, write this on my heart that you're going to do what you said and help me. Is there anything, any area where you're wanting me to do something and I don't have courage because I'm not looking to who you are and what you said? So why don't we just take a minute to pray that individually and then I'll close this.